Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special, very regular, but still very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. I'm the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer here in Australia. I'm Scott Phillips. And with me is the straw man himself, Andrew Page, the Managing Director of Strawman.com. How are you, buddy? I'm very good, sir. How are you on this fine, sunny Sunday? <laughs> Theatre of the mind. I love it. This is, of course, uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of a portmanteau of Thursday and Sunday, but I couldn't come up with one. So we are recording this on a Thursday, but my Sunday is hopefully going well. Uh, look, honestly, um, before we re- started recording this, I found out that Canberra is going into lockdown and, frankly, I sit between Sydney and Canberra. So I'm going to imagine by Sunday I'm at home. <laughs> I'm going to assume yeah. that's well, true. Welcome to the party, my friend. Oh, yeah, I, I can I can absolutely ask for uh, zero sympathy. I've been uh, blissfully free of lockdown for more weeks. Uh, well, I was going to say that we should have. Probably shouldn't have to say that, but uh, more weeks than we probably had a right to given how well COVID is spreading around the rest of the state. Mm. Mate, um, let's let's get on with the mailbag. But before I do, what's Strawman again? It's a private investment club for very oh, smart... Okay. Very engaged investors. I'm coming up with something else. I'm gonna. I, I know. I'm gonna ask you. Stand by for next Friday. I say this now. I'll remember it like three minutes before we record next week. Like, oh, I was gonna do it again. If I remember, <laughs> I'll ask you a different question just for fun. Because yeah, okay. it's boring now. It was more fun when I had to put you on the spot. And you know, I just, I just run. I've run out of alternate descriptions. <laughs> is my problem. I know, I'm I know. not creative enough. <laughs> there you go. There you go, mate. Um, let's get straight into it, shall we? A question mm, from yes. Tim. Uh, here we go. Hi, Scott. Thanks for all your good work on the pod, and I'm very much enjoying Andrew's input. Can I be greedy and ask a question? Sure. I'm struggling to get a handle on the risk and reward proposition of big tech in China. So you talk about the big issues, namely Alibaba. Mm. On face value, a price-to-free cash flow ratio of roughly 16 looks like a good deal, but this valuation is obviously suppressed by other factors. How do you weigh up? the current valuation against the regulatory risk. Is the risk blown out of proportion? On top of the fear that these companies may be delisted in the US, there were discussions recently about a new digital yuan currency eroding some of Ant Financial's business. Are you able to elaborate on what that might mean for Ant and Alibaba? Cheers, Tim. Tim, I'm glad you asked, mate. I'm going to turn to our resident uh, cryptocurrency and uh, China expert, Andrew Page. (laughs) He says throwing the hospital pass of all hospital passes. Mate, do you have a thought on, on investing in China and or the impact of digital currency? Um, yeah, I do. I, I think, I think you, you look, companies like Alibaba are just phenomenal, right? There's, there's some really attractive um, things about it. There's, there's kind of two internets in the world. There's what, the one that we're familiar with and there's the one that um, sort of behind the great firewall of China. Um and it's a very mm. like you know it's a very very big mm-hmm. place and and all of the phenomenal growth and success that we've seen here in the West has been emulated by yep. some of these these big tech names yep. in China. They're phenomenal businesses. I, as an investor, don't go there. Um, partly that's because I've got my hands full with enough opportunity right. here, um, and, and and you know, and there's indirect exposure I've got through ETFs over in the US. But I do worry about the sovereign mm. risk. I mean, it's just a you know, I'm not going to say better. I'm not going to say worse. We'll just walk a nice middle path here. Mm. But it is it is different, mm. and 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 the Chinese government could unilaterally overnight just decide that they're going to, um, you know, take it mm. over, mm. or they're going to they just at the stroke of a pen, um, and and that is a very very real risk. Uh, we we actually we've seen that in the past from the Chinese Communist mm. government. Um, there's actually quite a long history. I, was, I saw some really interesting threads on Twitter last week, actually, sort of talking about a lot of examples of this kind of stuff. So it's not unheard of. In fact, it's you could argue even reasonably mm. common. 
Um, and, and given that it is such an existential risk, potentially, or at least a very thesis-altering risk, for me, it's just a bit too mm. spicy. Um, so despite all the attractiveness... Look, if we were in a world where all my choice was between AMP, Telstra and Alibaba, I'd take the risk, right? Um, fortunately, there's lots of lots of uh, great tech uh, outside of the Great Firewall that, that doesn't have this very, very significant risk. So for me... Yeah. Um, I and it's just and it's it's just it's too hard to put odds yeah. on. Like every investment has risk, right? You, you and and that's and that's fine. That's the that's the game that we're in. I find it really hard to put odds on the mm. risk, though. I don't. Is it a one in ten chance? Is it a one in a thousand chance? Um, is it a one in two chance? I yeah. don't know. And and I think one of the most important things you should do as an investor is be comfortable with that that mm-hmm. phrase. I don't mm. know. It's okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's okay yeah. not to yeah. know. Um, and, and, and maybe maybe you're someone listening to this who actually has a very, very mm-hmm. good read on this situation, in which case it'd be a different scenario for you. But for me, because I don't know, and I'm, I'm happy to, to know what I don't know, <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay clear. What, what about you? Yeah, I think you've summarized it beautifully, mate. I, um, so I think that that's, the question is not only what the risk is, but also frankly, what is the downside risk because uh, in terms of the size of the, the outcome? So when you think about investing, you need to think about both the probability of an outcome and the size of that outcome. So if I've got a 10% chance of uh, making a squillion percent return, just to be ridiculously large, then I'll take that every time, right? Not because, I, you know, 9 I'm not going to make it, but that size of that return is well and truly putting some money into. If I've got a 90% chance of a 10% loss, you don't have a very big upside than other 10%. Otherwise, I'm almost guaranteed to lose money, and that's 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 silly. As you rightly point out, yeah. not only the chances of the of the return, but frankly, does the Chinese government nationalise these businesses? I don't know. Other other risks for foreign investors different to those in in China? I don't know. Um, you know how do they work? I do absolutely agree with you, mate. I have said publicly that I think in the next decade or so, a couple of the largest dozen businesses in the world will come out of China and or India. It just, and we don't know them because we don't know them, right? We don't speak the language, generally speaking. We don't see them. We don't uh, necessarily live their culture. And so, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Western middle-aged white bloke. I'm not going to, who only speaks English, by the way. Um, I'm not going to see that happening. And, but if you think about the billions of people, literally, a billion each in China and India, uh, that other, the market opportunity for some of these businesses, it makes just logical sense to me that they're going to be massive. I have an exposure yep. in some of these companies through an Asian Tigers ETF run by BetaShares. I own a small um, portion of that in my portfolio. So I have some exposure. I wouldn't buy those companies individually, no. And I don't really... The chance of a very, very large downside um, is just too much for me to... to, to bother. Oh, I said bother. Not bothering sounds like I'm, I'm giving up. Um, I am to some degree, but it's not that I don't care or I don't want to find out. I just think it's unknowable. And we've talked about before, Howard Marks, your, your, your best mate, um, who, who talks that, that kind of, you know, two by two matrix of important on one axis and knowable on the other axis. And if it's important but unknowable, well, it'd be nice to know the answer, but there's no point wasting time on it. So Tim, to you, to you honestly, how do I weigh up the current valuation? I just don't. Um, and the outcome will be the outcome. And if, if these things get nationalised, a whole lot of people go, see, I told you. And if they go up a hundredfold, a whole lot of people say, see, I told you. And I just can't handicap those odds, uh, as Andrew said. So I'm just going to just going to stay away, unfortunately. Um, uh, digital yuan currency, mate. That's these are the sorts of things that are the hardest part with this is a bit like oil, right? With OPEC, um, there's supply and demand. There's business analysis, and then there's 
a, an arbitrary, you know, totalitarian government in, in China's case or OPEC, the, the cartel in the oil case, where you take everything you think you know about business and supply and demand and business models and throw it out the window because someone's got the casting vote, you know? And so oil should, be, yes, oil yeah. should sell for 20 bucks a barrel permanently because Saudi Arabia gets it out of the ground at eight mm. and most of, the, most of the rest of the Middle East get it out of the ground for the teens, right? So if supply mm. was allowed to, to go unfettered, the price would crash through the floor. It doesn't, and that is what it is. But you can't just look at supply and demand and say, ah, oh, therefore this is going to happen because it, it, it is the stroke of a pen in this case in China. So I don't know. I'm not avoiding it altogether. I do have that Asian Tigers investment, mostly outside China though for the record. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I, I'm trying to get some exposure to there. Am I missing good opportunities? Possibly, yes. Um, but if you don't know the outcome, it's like, you know, am I missing an opportunity to buy a lotto ticket, win a lotto? Yeah. Does it matter I should buy a lotto ticket? No. <laughs> I do occasionally, by the way, but, you know, not because I think there's a chance of winning. So there's, there's always that. Can I put can I put another uh, side to the argument? You here? can quickly. And I only I only I only do it because it's from the great Charlie Munger himself. Um, yes. Warren Buffett's right hand man is massively bullish on China. Yeah, and has been point, for actually. ages. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah you're right. Yep. Now, am I going to sit here and pretend for half a second that I'm you know a fraction of the intellect <laughs> of, of, right. of this great man? Yeah, um, yeah. I I I don't. I, so so it's so it's. Yeah, I, I very much respect uh, anything he says. So I'm, I'm really willing to admit that I, I might have this totally wrong. Um, but it's okay because when, when you don't get involved, the biggest loss is just an opportunity cost one. It's not a real cost and that, that will still suck, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. Although Charlie, I don't know if you saw recently, he was in an interview and um, he kind of seemed to hint at the advantages of being a totalitarian, totalitarian <laughs> yeah. government, yeah, yeah, which landed yeah, pretty flat. Yeah. And it does make, there was, there was a lot of like sort of uh, Berkshire fanboys out there sort of going, yeah. Ooh, that's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, is, 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 yeah. is, is, is there a, a bit of a decline into sonality or something? Yeah. I don't yeah. know, but uh, yeah. anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. No, good, good idea. Good idea. Um, no, and look, that's, that's the other thing, right? That, but that's, I think, I mean, I, I, again, I, like you, I don't have Charlie. Two, two, two of us together, I've got about a quarter of Charlie's intellect, um, right. and that's not that's no, that. that's no bag on on you or me. It's a it's a challenging one, mate, because you, he's actually right, right? Like, it, it, if if you don't care about people, you can you can get a whole lot achieved, right? Singapore is another yeah. example where you know some not as bad as China, but just autocratic leadership gets stuff done. Is that stuff mm. worth doing? I don't know. Are the side effects worth it? Open question, but you can still get it done, mm. um, which I think is Charlie's yeah. point. Um, mm. It's a it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, I yeah, I, I think it's just easy to, to easier to avoid, um, particularly as individual shareholders in those businesses. I think just you know, mm. frankly, by the way, you've seen the tra- the travails of Jack Ma, right? The business, the yeah. guy who started it, like he he is yeah, effectively a persona non grata in China. He's the billionaire founder of these businesses. You reckon they're going to worry about my half a dozen shares if if push comes to shove? I, I absolutely guarantee mm. they're not. So. Um, mm, yeah, mm. let's move on to a question from uh, Keen. Keen says, "Hi Scott, I've just started investing. Good man. I'm 28 years old and have dived into ETFs for my daughter's future instead of using savings accounts from banks in today's climate. Do you have any tips or advice for a new investor like myself? We've talked about kids before, Andrew. We've talked about new investing, but if you had to wrap a couple up, say to Keen, here's what you should do. Here's, here's two or three things you should do or know or get ready for or take advantage of. Anything just spring to mind that maybe we haven't t- covered before?" I think I think King's already nailed it, right? He's he's yeah, he, right. he, he, we talked Be about and getting um, started for your kids, exactly. Yeah, 
Well, we and we talked about it on Fridays uh, when we were talking about the Vanguard chart. On Friday's episode, we're talk, talk, talking about the the massive risks with yep. bank accounts and in term deposits and stuff for the long term. So, for someone who is just born or very young, in the yep. case of his daughters, you know that, that that is a huge risk to put money aside into a bank account. So he's mm-hmm. done it in a really simple, straightforward way. I, I I I take my hat off, sir. It's it's very it's very easy to do. It's very low risk. Yep. We could get into the nuance of which ETFs and exactly how you do it, but look, as we look, let's keep it simple. Broad-based ETFs, not too many of them, regularly contribute over the years. One day, your you know your daughters will be twenty-one, and they'll they'll, they'll really thank you, <laughs> like really thank you for yep. what you've yep. done over the years. Uh, I think uh, keep at it. That, that's that's my advice. Keep doing what you're doing because you're doing the right thing. Yep, I completely agree. Um, so a couple of things. Add regularly, you know that. Um, so keep doing that for me. We talked on Friday about the long-term value of investing, so please just keep investing. Um, expect volatility. Uh, use the opportunity. Here's my big bit of advice. Use the opportunity of having that to the extent you're comfortable sharing with your daughters how much money you've invested with them or what they're invested in. And that can be tricky for some people because if they think they've got some inheritance coming, you might worry about their, their behavior or some entitlement. So choose carefully. But the fact they own shares means you can literally start – I mean, you're 28, right? So I'm going to assume your daughters are reasonably young, probably single digits, primary school kids. Um, you've got a great opportunity now for the next 15 years-ish to help them learn about investing, compounding, all the things you're doing on their behalf along the way. They can learn by watching you do. That is amazingly powerful, mate, because they'll grow up with that as second nature. And I'm going to say to you, and this is probably outlandish, more than the money you're putting aside for them, the education they get following along will stand them in much better stead in later in life. Mm-hmm. Any more on that, mate? I'm, I'm, I, was, I was hoping you'd talk for a bit longer because I was furiously Googling Buffett's, uh, Buffett's uh, comment on kids in terms of you want to give them as much as they need. Uh, That's right. That's what he's giving his kids, yeah. Please yep. save me. Save me. Save yep. me here. What, what, what's, what's the advice? It, it, uh, um, and, and enough but not too much is basically the, the bottom line, but yes. Um, yeah. And enough so they can do anything, but not enough so they can do nothing, I think, from memory. Is That's it. That's it. Yes. All right. Here's one from Riz. Hi, Scott. Another podcast question. I have heard, and I could be wrong, that a lot of the money banks lend you is borrowed from overseas. And the RBA doesn't really have that much control over interest rates. In that, in the, if the US raises theirs, it will pass on to us because the overseas borrowing. This could be all wrong, just what I have heard. What can you tell Riz, mate? Riz is right. Um, I'm going to forget the exact proportions off the top of my head, but it's a significant proportion of money is borrowed from overseas. Do you know off the top of I think it's a yours? very, very large minority from memory. I want to say 40%, but I could be wrong as well. Yeah, it's, it's meaningful. And when I say borrow, what they do is they issue corporate bonds. So CBA will issue a big, which is just a fancy way of saying an IOU. So mm-hmm. you lend us some money. We promise to pay you back. And for the privilege, we'll, we'll pay you a regular, what's called a coupon, which is just another mm-hmm. fancy way of saying some interest along the way. And that's where they get 40% of their funding. So mm-hmm. if bond rates increase, in other words, if bond values fall, um, mm-hmm. the cost of borrowing uh, overseas increases, then then the funding costs for the banks will go up regardless mm-hmm. of what the RBA does. That's buffered to some extent yeah. um, by the domestic situation. But when 40%, take your figure, which I think is pretty much about it, um, yeah, they they, they 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 either eat the margin and there's not much margin to be eaten at this point. No, there's not. Yeah. Or they or more realistically, they pass on that higher cost of borrowing. Yeah. 
So it's so this no. is one of the you know look I'm not going to go down this tack too much other than to say we've mm-hmm. we've talked about property before but it's one of those things when yep. you factor in taking on a very large mortgage you know this is there is the domestic scenario which you might have a firm view on but what happens overseas mm-hmm. we are also at, at that mercy to some degree to a to a large mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. It's um it's a really good point. So Riz, you're absolutely right as Andrew's already said it. You know why the question is is important because the banks for years pretended that only the RBA matters. When the RBA put rates up by a quarter of a cent, banks had put theirs up by a quarter of a cent. When RBA dropped by a quarter, banks had dropped by a quarter. Now, the banks know that doesn't is not the only thing that counts. But we're in this interest rate cycle where, frankly, some kind of combination of they do it, so I should do it, and then we did it last month, so I guess we do it this month, and something else means they've never really actually said, you know what, when rates drop a quarter of a percent in Australia, we should pass on 0.15% to you because that's our funding cost reduction. And by the way, when rates go up a quarter in Australia, we should pass on 0.15, not the full quarter of a point, because the rest of our funding hasn't changed. Now, they don't, and they they blend that themselves in the back end, and it's their right to do it. But it's why Riz is asking the question, because the banks have never actually kind of been, they've never been dishonest, they just have never taken the time to explain it, because it's easier not to, right? And so that is, you're exactly right, Riz. Now, here's, I'm going to do some very, very, very quick maths with extraordinary large numbers just for the fun of it. Let's say half your funding comes from Australia, and the cost of borrowing here is 5%. And half comes from the US, and the cost of borrowing there is 1%. Now, if you blend those numbers together, just trust me on the maths, that's an average of 3%, right? Half at one, half at five, the average is three. And that's fine. Now, if the Australian rate goes from one to 3%, again, it won't in a big thing, but let's assume it does, you're getting 5% from overseas and 3% in Australia. The cost of your borrowing, the average has gone from three to 4%, even though the RBA hasn't moved at all. So again, numbers on audio are never great, but just to just to use very large numbers, they're, they're going to be averages and fractions of percentages. But just to give you a sense of it, that's how, as you already intuit, we could see rates rise here even if the RBA doesn't move or rates fall even if the RBA doesn't move because if the cost of bank funding from overseas changes, they, they'll absorb some to try and avoid having to move too much. But we're already seeing fixed rates, for example, start to move around and that's largely what's going on there is despite the RBA saying we're going to keep medium-term rates down, the cost of overseas funding is already going up if you look out three years. And so that's why you'll see fixed-term mortgages have actually been increasing slightly in interest rate over the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're so so David, all, the, okay. I was just going to say the so what of all of that is because the, then the, the next step and the step that most of the punditry tend to go down next is then starting to forecast and call exactly what's going to happen. And that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, right. that's, a, that's a mugs game. But what I yeah, would correct. say... To, to that, Riz, is if this is something that you've obviously it's it's um, it's caught your attention and it's something you might be mm-hmm. thinking about because of your personal mm-hmm. situation. Is don't don't get too don't, too far into specifics there. Just as mm-hmm. we always say, just account for that possibility and, and ensure you have a buffer in any lending that you have with the bank, so that yep. if yep. you know it does happen that way, you're not going to be out on the street. Good one. Um, I like it. Let's go to David. First name only, please. Says David, and I won't say his surname. Oh, I actually got that right. That's unusual. G'day, Scott. Andrew, he says, many years ago... Oh, dear. You're either in trouble here or about to get some credit, mate. Many years ago, Andrew Page changed my mindset during a webcast at another service. He ran a dividend-seeking fundamental analysis webcast in the midst of a trading and technical analysis education company as an alternative view. It succeeded ah. to get me out of day trading into long-term investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Pretty good, isn't it? Well Pleasure, done, Dave. Yeah. Changed Dave's life. He then says, and Scott, I like you too. 
<laughs> and then he moves on. So thank you, Dave. That, that felt like a bit of a token one, but I'll take it, mate. I'll take it. A question for the podcast, he says. What is the ATO's view on selling a losing stock prior to the end of the financial year, at creating a capital loss, obviously, if it's already a losing stock, and then buying back at a lower price than the initial purchase price, perhaps immediately or in the new financial year? What is the criteria around this sort of thing? Mm. Can you justify it? For example, EML had news that sent the stock down recently. Perhaps I sold, but a few months later in the new financial year, I decided the company is worth owning again. Can I do it? When can I not do it? I know this question makes me sound like Andrew taught me nothing and I'm still trading in and out of stocks, but hey, thanks, Dave. <laughs> there you go. You've changed life but only a bit. Uh, what, do you, what do you say, mate? Should he worry about the ATO and uh, try to lock in another loss, lock in a profit? Uh, I will just start by saying it's such a great email, Dave. I, I, we've all been lured by the uh, the potential of uh, <laughs> technical analysis and trading and with full, no disrespect to my former employer, um, it was never something that um, it resonated for me. So I'm glad I'm glad that you've uh, you've seen the light and gone with a far easier, far more profitable approach. Um, so the ATO calls these wash sales um, mm-hmm. and they frown on it. So the yes, hard- they do. <laughs> they, the, the, it's one of these things that's kind of you're not meant to do, but that everyone does. It, it actually gets quoted as for what you know why share prices move like towards the end of the financial yep. year. Everyone yep. sells their shares and they're at a loss. If if if, mm-hmm. if you're carrying any shares at a loss, you sell them and then you buy them back, and it means you get mm-hmm. a capital loss that you can then apply for that year if you've got any gains, or in fact a loss that you can carry forward. It's not exactly a free lunch because now you've got a lower cost space, which means you'll have a lower, yeah. higher capital gain down the track. That's but right, hey, some future time, yeah. Yeah, but any any yeah. tax deferred is, is a bit of a win and that that's the game that you're playing here. The trouble is, mm. and this is where what's really hard for the ATO, is it's like, well, how do, you could have argued that actually I just decided to sell because I, I was worried about the shares and then I, I changed my mind. Yep. Prove otherwise. Yep. Prove otherwise. Yep. So I would say... I would never advocate or urge anyone to do things that's going to attract the ire of, of the ATO. I, I don't <laughs> okay. I don't bother doing it myself, frankly. Yeah. Um, I would urge you not to. And I would say if you yeah. are going to do it, just bear in mind that it is it is something that could get you into trouble, although some might argue the risks are pretty low. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm trying to have a to speak out both sides of my mouth there. What do you think? I would not touch it with a barge pole ram. And maybe because I'm just a more conservative person, I figure if you don't know where the line is, you're too close to it with the yep. ATO in particular. Because you know yep. what? If you're an enemies in life, make it the bloke down the street with a leaf blower. Don't make it the ATO because trust me, <laughs> they can make your life much more painful than a bloke at eight o'clock on Saturday morning with a leaf blower. Um, it's So here's the thing. They have, they don't, in the US, there's actually a specific rule called a wash sale rule. It's a 45 day limitation. In Australia, there is no such rule as far as I'm aware still. I may have changed. I'm not a tax accountant. But the ATO has very, 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 very broad tax avoidance powers. It's in a particular section of the Tax Act, which I'm not going to quote. Um, but basically, here's the thing. To, to Andrew's point of like, hey, go and prove it. It's almost the reverse. Because the ATO is going to say, I think you did this for this reason. Here's your fine or here's your penalty. And then you've got to take them to court to get the, get away from, get the penalty um, effectively overturned, right? And as I said, you really just don't want that grief in your life. Like you really, really don't, I promise you. For a couple of bucks, and maybe it's a couple of thousand bucks that you might save in tax this year, as Andrew said, you'll only lower your cost base next year anyway. And so unless you've got to hold them for 25 years, maybe you're putting off the tax for a year or two. And hey, if you save $1,000 for two years at 1.5% inflation and you know, maybe, maybe get 10%, whatever it is, 
Um, I've never done it. I would never do it. Maybe I'm too conservative. If I am, you know what? I sleep really well. I don't, I'm not worried about the ATO knocking on my door. If they do and say, hey, explain this, I'm like, yep, here it is. It's all here. Now, I just, as I you just said, found, Dave, you, go on. Oh, so, sorry. I, just, I was going to say, I found an old article here saying that the fine is up to $550,000 for individuals. So yeah. See, there's, and the there's point that. Is they'll levy that, right? And then you've got to say, mm. you know, I just, you don't, and the other thing is, if, if you're right, how much money do you want to spend on accountants and lawyers fighting the ATO? Like, it's, it's just, no. it, it's one of those things where, it's, I've always said, if you're going to go to jail, go to jail for stealing $10 million. Don't go to jail for stealing a T-shirt. You know, like, <laughs> if, if, if you're going to take the risk, at least make it worth it. Um, taking on the ATO for a couple of grand is like, uh, just, it's, an, it's just such an asymmetric bet. Um, maybe you get away with it. If you carry Packer or James Packer now, maybe you, maybe you have a go because you've got lawyers and accountants and, Maybe it doesn't matter and, you know, it costs what it costs and it's all part of the fun of the game. For people like you and I, I just don't, I don't want the ATO on my back. I don't want to have to deal with lawyers and accountants. And as, as you say, mate, unless the, unless the loss is that dramatic, um, you know, I, I, just, I just roll with it. So, yeah. yeah. You, yep. you, 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 can you do it? Can you justify it? Probably. If, if, if email generally, genuinely went from a, well, I don't know what the share price of email, let's go Woolies, so another price. If Woolies goes from 40 to 20 bucks, um, because the business sucks all of a sudden, you sell it because you don't like it, and then you buy it back because something's changed. Then sure, good luck trying to convince the ATO that you know something changed between June twenty and August four. If nothing was announced by Woolies and the share price is roughly the same, I mean hmm. you're entitled to change your mind. But and look, you probably get away with it on one company probably because they probably don't notice, they probably don't care, they probably don't bother. But if you start to do that sort of stuff and there's a pattern of that, that's a desperately hard thing to try and convince a court, which just happened to be accidental or happened to be. Um, circumstantial, right? It, it, patterns of these things, again, when you're trying to convince a court that you're in the right, just too tough. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, question from Corey. We're getting through them, mate. This is awesome. All right. <coughs> G'day, Scott. I randomly stumbled across your podcast a few months ago. Since then, I've become a regular listener and really hang out to hear what the latest definition of straw man is. <laughs> well done, Andrew. Well, Andrew's let you down, Corey. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Not my fault. I, I try. I try. It's, it's run its course. We're just, you know, <laughs> you know nothing. I've, no, I've got right. nothing else. Now, some background, he says. Uh, my wife and I started talking about investing our money 18 months ago after we had a baby and we're close to getting completely out of debt. Nice hey, work. Hey. We began upskilling ourselves by listening to podcasts. It's got to a point where we decided to dip our toes in the water and decided to set up an account with Spaceship. And then after that, Six Park. Six Park has been a simple, easy way of getting good advice to set up a portfolio that suits us. Set and forget, and so far returns have been what we expected. Now, the Spaceship portfolio I've got is the actively managed one, and after 12 months, it is far exceeding what I expected. For a management fee of 0.1%, no other fund seems to come close. Now, I know it's only been a short time, but if this keeps performing, why would I bother moving into a larger fund with higher fees? Any feedback would be appreciated. Thanks in advance, Corey. Mate, um, spaceships marketing must be must be doing well because we've had a couple of spaceship questions uh, all around the same kind of thing. So obviously, spaceship guys, well done. Uh, Six Park, I should say, we have zero relationship with, but I actually know Pat uh, from Six Park really well. He's a, he's a really good guy. Uh, we don't agree with everything, but, but he's a good guy. We chat on Twitter a lot. So um, shout out to Pat because he's... Uh, yeah, I said one of the, one of the good ones, uh, Pat Garrett. Mm. Just to, sorry, I shouldn't say Pat Pat Garrett. Um, it's a it's an interesting question, Corey asked, mate. I'm going to suggest maybe Corey needs to reorient the thinking just a little bit. Um, so here's the thing: any fund does well over a year. Some funds do well over two or three years. The question for you, Corey, is do you have a reason to believe any fund? And I'm not going to talk about Spaceship specifically, other than you raise it. So of course we are talking about it, but I don't have any issue with it. Is it going to keep outperforming? 
And if you don't know the answer, that's probably the first thing to kind of, <laughs> that's first thing to write down mentally. Just say, like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen next. Good point. Um, if you have reason to believe it's going to continue to do well or you have a high conviction of that for some reason and it's charging you 0.1%, then fantastic. That's a really low fee. So good on you. Go, go for it. Uh, why would you move? Well, you wouldn't. If you if you expected it would keep going well and your fee was going to stay this low, you would not move at all and I wouldn't blame you. The question you've got to ask yourself though is, is there? do you have reason to believe it's going to keep doing well? Now, we, I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. I, I pick stocks. Some of those suck. Some of those do well and we're beating the market. Will I keep doing, will I keep doing well? I don't know. Hopefully. Uh, but again, you've got to ask the same question. If you're employing someone to do something on your behalf, ask yourself what reason you have to believe it's going to continue to do well. If, Spaceship does well next year and the year after the year after that, you're going to say, see, I told you. If Spaceship has a terrible year and loses 30%, you're going to go, oh, bugger. I was going to keep doing well. Um, and so that's important just to keep in mind. I'm not a big managed fund fan. Ram, as you know, uh, Motherfell has a managed fund business, by the way. Um, but for me personally, I don't invest in it. Mostly, that's not because I don't like it. The guys are great and their returns are spectacular. Um, but it's largely because I, I, I just, I'm probably too, um, ideological, but I figure as an investment advisor, if someone asks someone to take my advice and I don't recommend it, I shouldn't buy it. So I, I have only, I think, one company in my portfolio that I haven't recommended. Um, I figure I should eat my own cooking. So that, that's actually why. Um, if you think your actively managed fund can beat the market, then yeah, pay the fee for sure. In fact, pay even more than that. If you if you got a fund that we're going to outperform by 15 percentage points, you'd pay one or two or three percent to do that because you'd still mm. be much, much better off. The question, of course, is can you know and do you know that? If I was going to invest in something outside individual shares, um, the Motley Fools Fund aside, because we're not supposed to talk about it, um, I would I would buy an ETF because you're going to get the market return, the fees are low, and you're not taking manager risk. And for me, that's just the way I'd go. But to your point, if you like it, you're happy with it, you like their investment strategy, you're going to keep doing well, why would you change? Well, you wouldn't because your only job is to maximise your, your return after fees. And if they're giving you a great return on low fees, then you're happy as Larry. Uh, the question, of course, is will that keep happening? Ram? Yeah, it's so hard because even the best funds. So let's travel to the future twenty years and mm-hmm. find the best performing fund over that twenty year period, <laughs> and whatever it yep. is, the fund X Y Z. I'll guarantee you that it has many periods of underperformance, mm-hmm. um, and we could find the worst performing fund over the next twenty years, and it will have years mm-hmm. of spectacular outperformance. So it's it's trying to sort of gain, sort of see the signal amongst all the noise. And, and what you'll – so what's very hard is you only sort of get this data point once a year and you've got to make a decision on whether this was just one of those things or whether this mm. is a sign of something more underlying and, mm. and fundamental to their approach. It's, mm. So it's super hard. Um, mm. And they're so new uh, on the scene, Spaceship. So, I, you know, is, is have yeah. they just got off to a great start or is there something that's really special there? Outperforming mm. the market for a fund is a very hard thing to do because they've got mm. so much money – it's you, you're forced to what they sort of call index hug to some extent. Yeah. Um, so even when you do get out performance, it's usually not yeah. um, massive, especially after fees. Um, so it's just it's, so that this is the thing. So so the, the Corey's thinking is 100% right. Um, but but my question would be: Let's say next year it underperforms. Well, how how do you how do you know if that is um, as I say be, be, because they just don't know what they're doing or because they're just this happens to be one of the years that's an underperforming year in a longer period of massive outperformance. Um, and that could go on for two or three years. At what, at what point? I, I don't know. I don't know how you answer it. In hindsight, it's all massively obvious. Um, yeah, that's I right te- after the fact, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love yeah, the focus yeah. on, I love Corey's focus on fees because that's really important. So one mm. of the things that I, I like about 
the passive index ETFs is it's not a question of out or under performance. It's a question of almost, by, well, in fact, very much by design that you will get <laughs> almost exactly the index performance. So that, mm. so you basically remove That's that right. and say, um, it's actually, it's, it's moving to a different mindset where you say, actually, my goal here with this passive investing style is not to outperform. Mm-hmm. It is just to match. And I might regret it because I could have in hindsight picked another fund that did much better, but I also may have picked a fund that did much worse. Why not just guarantee myself the average? And I I mean, literally guarantee. Yeah, yeah, Um, that's right, yeah. You know, so that 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 is something to, that is something to, is something to consider. Having said yep. all of that, one of the things that that I've uh, often make mention of t- as well to friends is that obviously mm. your goal as an investor is to get the best return you can. But one of the one of the things that you will never regret on your deathbed is if you go, ah, <laughs> oh, I invested in this fund and I, it, it returned eight point seven percent compound over a twenty year period. And if I was a bit smarter, I could have gotten ten point one percent. I mean, that's right. when we talk about the differences in in that in those small differences over a long time, like it's material. But it's you know as far as problems go, it's not you know it's not it's not a massive problem. It's not going to be a massive regret. The most important thing is nine point nine percent, right? Is the other thing. It could be yeah. You could underperform the other side, so you got to you want to be careful what you you know those those same rules happen on both sides of the average. Exactly, exactly. So the important thing I think here is, and what Mm. Corey is doing is that they are they've gotten themselves uh, out of debt. They're investing yep. the excess into uh, what looks ostensibly like a very sensible fund, and we can yep. we can fiddle around the edges to try and get more and try and predict which one. But you know, just keep just keep doing what you're doing. Basically, mm-hmm. maybe have mm-hmm. have a bit of a think about what I said in terms of just guaranteeing the index average. But I, I can't fault yep. what you're doing. You're doing you're doing more than most people, and you will be better off yeah. uh, than most people as a result. I have nothing to add. But let's go to a question from Dan. Um, Dan Page, obviously, mate. Your are you got Uncle Dan or a brother Dan or something. Dan. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but I'm, I'm, li- I'm liking the lead in. Oh, hi, Scott and Andrew. He says, "Thank you for the well." It starts with you. Thank you for the amazing job you both do on this podcast. Giving a simplistic but in-depth analysis. I think you meant simple, not simplistic, but that's okay. We'll go with simplistic. It's probably true too. But in-depth analysis of the complex institution they call the share market for your listeners. I'm a short-time listener to the podcast, but I plan to be a long-time listener and a buy-and-hold investor. For someone with little idea of the market, you give me a crash course lesson each week when I listen, and I love it. I've recently joined Strawman Premium and cannot wait to grow my knowledge in the share market with the brain's trust of Strawman. Kudos to Rampage. The man is a genius. <laughs> and then he says, lol. So I'm going to assume he's kidding. But he may not be. He may think you're a smart bloke. I know better. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's a smart bloke. All right. My wife and I are 35, says Dan. We own our two properties outright and have bought 50K of various shares in the last few years. We have an automatic payment into a high-growth mutual fund for both of us and each of our three kids. I feel like we're on the right track with life in general and setting up a nest egg for our kids in the future, but I feel like there's maybe a better option for the money I'm investing into the market. I plan to go to a financial advisor very soon for advice now. Our debts are gone. If you're both in our position, what things would you do differently with up to $5,000 a month, wow, with your experience in the market? And do you think mutual funds are bad news for investing for your future and your kids? I'm open to new ideas and the kids have time on their side. I don't want to stuff up these early years of their compounding capabilities. And then he finishes with probably the most important part of the message, Andrew. Uh, Just pause for effect here. Dan says, um, Scott, you're a genius too. And then he adds a lol at the end. Dan, (laughs) all right, so let's see. I love it, I love it. I think it's important. All right, so so the the fact he's your brother or cousin or neighbour or best mate aside... Um, they're doing really well, mate. They're 35. They're 
putting 5k a month away which is just phenomenal um, so well done guys I, that, that's well outside what most people can get to um, but he's wanting to set up a nest egg he's putting money into the, a, a high growth mutual fund currently we've just kind of talked about managed funds so he might have answered part of that question and we can't tell Dan specifically what he should do but would you do anything differently mate? No, I mean, look, just again, you're, we're at the at the fiddling um, at the edges, sort of uh, mm-hmm. part of the, part of the spectrum here. Um, just whatever you whatever you're doing right now is is obviously working. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I would I would lean more towards uh, the, the the passive side of things. Um, just before all the points we made before. Um, I think what's also interesting too is obviously a member of premium is someone who likes to take a more uh, self-directed, more uh, active approach, yeah. w- which is great. Yeah. Um, I think the decision therefore is is one of, of buckets. So what, what what percentage do you want to sort of put in the easy set and forget regular edition each month and which one do you want to p- put towards um, uh, actual stock picking? Um, I would say that that def- that d- distinction would depend on your enjoyment of the process and the amount of time that you have because it does take a bit of work. Um, yeah. uh, we do it because we feel as though we can get it, as, as with you guys, we feel as though we can get a better return on the market. So far that's turned out to be true. But the, the other time I'm always the first to admit and put, put my hand up for this is that it is – it is work, you know, like any, there's a lot of yeah. sort of people out there that like to say it's just oh, the easiest thing in the world and you can do it from your bedroom in your slippers and there's usually a picture <laughs> of someone on a yacht doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it. It is it is stressful. It is it is hard work. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of learning. It's a, it's a but I love it. I love it, right? So it's, yeah, for, right, me, exactly, for me, exactly. it's play. Um, yeah. Uh, but 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 I when I say that because if, if that is you then then great then you could probably put an even bigger proportion towards the more active style of things because you've got the time you've mm. got the interest and, and as a result of that you you will you will probably mm. do much better so that's that's the only yeah. nuance I would say is, is just th- think about where you want to draw that line nice mate I love it um, I would simply say Dan that you're in a mutual fund which charges fees and as we said before you may or may not be getting a, a return that justifies those fees. Um, the average fund manager loses to the market, so you've got to make sure you've got a really good one. If you're in a mainstream fund with mainstream fund manager team and mainstream costs, uh, your chances are less than average by definition. So remember, the average fund loses to the market. So if we've got, I don't know, 100 people listening to us right now and they all had managed funds, then 51 at least of you and probably closer to 70 or 80 of you will actually get subpar returns. Because the market is the market and there's fees on top of that and you can't get the average if you're giving the average and taking out fees. So I would just be a little bit mindful of, of investing in a managed fund for any length of time, particularly with those sort of dollar values. Um, I would personally just go to a range of ETFs if you don't want to be active. To Ram's point, if you want to be active, then there's different ways of doing that. But if you're going to be passive, which you kind of are, which is great, I would actually sort some ETFs out. We talked about that last week, mate. I think it was last Sunday's episode, maybe last Friday's, where we had a listener ask about some ETFs they were investing in and whether we'd change or what what additions we'd we'd make to that. So go back to that if you want to have some ETFs. But if it was up to me, if I was advising someone and saying, I said, look, I want to, you know, passively invest a large chunk of money every month. Where do I put it? I'd go straight to ETF. I wouldn't go to the managed fund route because you just don't know what that performance is going to be, as, as Ram's already mm-hmm. said. So I'd go to ETF. If you want to then start doing it individually, again, as Ram says, then uh, then you can do that as well. 
Um, just be mindful of you know what you want out of life and, and how you want to make your, manage your money. If you love doing the stock stuff, then go for it. If you don't love it, don't do it. Um, or you don't want to do it, don't do it. Because if it becomes a drag or painful or annoying, then you, you increase your chance of doing it badly. So you want, it, you want to enjoy it, you want to like it, you want to get a buzz out of it. If you do, then individual shares are for you, I think. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. All right, question from Matt. Short one. Hey, guys, I'm hooked on your podcast and soaking up knowledge. Last week, you spoke about Berkshire Hathaway and how solid it was. Are there Australian companies tracking the same business model closely? Thanks from Matt. Well, Solpats. You got that one? Solpats, probably closest, isn't it? Yep. Yep, it, and it's it's just that con, it's just that uh, uh, conglomerate model, you know. It's sort of they, a little bit of this. West Farmers, another one. Um, there is another one. Uh, uh, you might be able to help me here, mate. But yeah, they're they're, they're all they're all uh, in terms of model and structure mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 others could argue. Well, there's only sort of one Rob Milner. There's only sort of one uh, Warren yep. Buffett. Uh, so just because they apply only one the Tony same, Lockett for AFL fans, right? Advantage. Right. Um, so, so the, <laughs> just because you have the model that's yep. akin to Berkshire doesn't mean you'll get the results that are akin to Berkshire. Um, yeah. It, it requires a very uh, capable capital allocator at the helm. But if you have that, oh, happy days. Great, it's a great, yep. it's a great structure and model. Yeah, yeah. So, Jason, there's nothing with Berkshire's returns in Australia. The, the compound return of 50 years have been astonishing. Um, so, there's that. Second is what does make Berkshire different from any Australian business that I'm aware of is the insurance part of its business, which actually gives it plenty of free cash to invest. So, insurance you pay now, and you might get something back later. In the meantime, the company gets to use that money. Um, that's what they call float insurance. Float. So, you pay your premium today. You might. You know, as, as a group, you know, we all pay $1,000 in premiums in total, 100 bucks each, 10 of us, and the company will pay out 900 bucks by the end of the year. They'll get a little bit of benefit left over, a bit of, bit of profit. Uh, Buffett invests that money during that year. Um, that's, so there's nothing in Australia that has that specifically, but to Andrew's point, investment in conglomerates, uh, Solpats, I own shares in Solpats, is the closest. I own shares because I like the Milner family. I like Rob Milner. Um, and we think they do a great job. Uh, they certainly have over the long term done a great job. So that's the one I'd choose. There are other conglomerates which aren't necessarily investment conglomerates in quite Berkshire's mould, but West Farmers is closest, as Andrew says. And what I like about West Farmers is people think about it as it owns it's owned coals in the past. It owns uh, Bunnings and Office Works. At West Farmers, everything is potentially for sale, and everything is potentially post, you know worth buying. And so they are truly an investment company that happens to buy and sell businesses rather than being in those businesses themselves as a core part of their operations. Uh, really good long-term term, uh, returns and solid, stable, um, thoughtful management. So I like that a lot. Mm. Question from Matt. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks, mate. I just have a question about short selling. Oh, that's going to get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. A stock that I hold, Kogan, currently has quite a large drink. short position of approximately 10.3... Yeah, drink. Large short position of approximately 10 point... He asked, not me. 10.3%. I'm interested in your thoughts as to whether you think this is a cause for concern and how much consideration you give to the short position of a stock when making trading decisions. Thank you, Matt. So just to summarise, shorting is betting on a share price going down rather than up. And Matt's saying that 10% of the Kogan shares by number, so let's say there's, make my life easier, 10 million shares. There'd be a million shares that have been borrowed and sold short by people trying to make money. 10% is a very high percentage. I guess the average is probably 
one or two, mate, for the for the kind of most businesses, mm. and it gets up to probably 20 or 25 for the ones that people really, really hate. But Kogan probably up there. I guess at 10%, it might be in the top 10 shorted stocks on the ASX by by percentage. Top five. Um, top five. Top five, there you go. Mm. I wasn't far off. Come on, give me some credit. I didn't <laughs> um, what do you reckon, mate? Cause for concern? I think you can read too much into these things. It's, it's hard because mm. like with so many things on the market, there are examples you can draw on to prove your, your yeah. point. Um, yeah. So Webjet is yeah, the so most true. the most shorted stock at the market. Zip is second. Right. Flight Center, Kogan, uh, you know, and and I've I've I know a lot of people that sort of talk a lot about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something magical about being a short seller where everyone assumes you're smarter than everyone else and you're always right. Yeah, it's so true. Whereas it seems smarter, doesn't it? Whereas when you're long, it does. Everyone everyone recognises there's going to be a lot of dumb people and doing mm-hmm. dumb, silly things that are out there, but not not if you're a short seller. Yep. Short sellers are always right. So I, I could flip yep. it around and say 90% <laughs> of people are long on this, yeah. you know, and yeah. you go, yeah, but, yeah. you know, obviously they all don't know what they're doing. And it's like, well, why does the 10% – it's actually 9% yeah, at the moment. Of, that's right. You know, and, and, and I can – again, it's, it's very selective here and I haven't done a rigorous statistical analysis, obviously, of all short sell positions and whether they've worked out, et cetera, et cetera. But I've seen plenty of examples. Plenty of examples of um, afterpay was way up there, right? At one stage, uh, and that look, look what's happened with that. So, so I don't know if and of itself it is something to be mindful of. That mm, being mm. said, where I do think it's got when when I see a stock that I'm interested in or that I own that is very high up that list, it does make me. I always do it as a matter of course. I always try to whenever I buy something to to put the other argue the other side. Um, of the debate and say, well, what's... I'm with Charlie Munger. I think that you should be able to uh, understand and articulate the bear case better than the bears themselves. You want to take that seriously. You want to... You really... Because you could be wrong and you need to know if you are wrong, what's the likely reason that you are wrong? So I think I like... I think as an as an intellectual exercise, I think it's very valuable as an investor to do. We are, we are too precious and protecting of our egos at time that that's a very unnatural thing to do. I think once we've decided we like something, that's it, we like it. And we'll just... We'll bury our heads. We'll block mm-hmm. our ears, uh, you know, when, when something yeah, argues right. against it. I like... I like to really lean into it and go, okay, mm-hmm. um, what's if I am wrong, what, what's what, what's mm-hmm. the other side of the argument here? So when I see something very high on the list of shorted stocks, I think it probably mm-hmm. just makes me want to look even closer. So, okay, yeah. what's the argument here? And then I can make a judgment on whether I, um, uh, I, I think they're right or they're wrong. Um, yeah. I imagine with Kogan that the, 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 the case is probably something to do with um, – uh, uh, big big competitors such as um, Amazon. I imagine it's mm, got something mm. to do with uh, valuation in the sense that the, the, the argument could be that great business but it's only in Australia and it's got a limited sort of mm. upside to that. Is the market being a bit too favourable? I don't know, but I sus- you, you'd know it better than me so you, you probably know what, what the bears are saying. But I would, I would want to like just be sure I was comfortable of that. But yeah, as a data point in of itself, no, I don't, I don't put too much stock in it. So, yeah, I'm going to say exactly the same as you actually put in as many words, Ram. I, if a whole lot of people don't like a stock, you want to know why. And the market is not inefficient that often <laughs> and wrong that often, right? So Myra has been one of the most shorted stocks for years and with absolutely great reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yep. so it would be silly to say, no, nah, of course it doesn't matter. Now, it, now, the question for investors is, is it cause or effect, right? So 
Maya sucks, so it's shorted. Okay, well, is the short selling telling me something? Maybe to some degree because it tells you what some people are thinking. Mm. Does it, though, make it not worth investing in? No, no, that's the business itself. The business sucks. And so, you know, no, just don't invest in it. Um, others, as you say, mate, there have been plenty of examples both ways of companies that have been shorted. JB Hi-Fi, I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure it's on the most shorter list for a long time. That's what um, I was thinking and, of, yes. And it's done extraordinarily well, yep. right? And so you yep. kind of, you know, d- does it mean the shorters are wrong all the time? No. If they pick Meyer and they Meyer doesn't mean they're right all the time, no. And as you rightly point out, mate, listening for the sake of it, it's the reverse is almost also true, right? It, there'll be some companies out there. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'll, for fun, I'll pick Enron, right? That went broke. If there was only one percent short interest in Enron, does that mean that ninety percent people are long? Therefore, it's worth investing in? No, because the market was wrong about that too. Mm. So, assume that the market, assume the shorters might be right. To your point, mate. Consider their case. Mm. With the Kogan case, mate, I don't know for the life of me. What the hell short is it? Uh, I've, I've asked the guys internally. I own shares. You know that. Drink, blah, blah, blah. Drink. Um, <laughs> I've, I've asked the guys so many times here, look, what is it, right? Maybe the best you can come up with with Kogan is that maybe the business model is sustainable. Maybe they never grow fast enough or far enough and maybe the market's just paying too much. I think it's probably, in the past at least, has been a, a valuation concern. Um, the problem is that even if you... I mean, you know... Kogan's PE, I'm just going to pull it up now because I'm stalling for time while I do that. Um, Kogan's PE, here we go. 32. 32, right? Now, that's that's fine. But ask yourself, is it going to grow faster than, say, Cochlear or, or slower than Cochlear? Because Cochlear's PE is 60, right? That, in, that, that infers that all things being equal, Cochlear's future growth is double out of Kogan's. Now, maybe it is, right? And I'm not saying it's not. I, I like Cochlear. It's a buy for us. So is Kogan. So I'm not I'm not picking on a stock that I don't like or I think is hugely overvalued, but you got to ask yourself the question: Is you know is this really as good as it gets for Kogan? Is it really not going to grow and justify that PE? Now maybe not, and so for all I know, it doesn't, and things are terrible, and it all goes to pot, and that's fine. I think it will. I think it will earn that PE. The other thing is, by the way, remember Kogan is a barely profitable business in a good way, and that is if it keeps growing revenue. It can grow the bottom line at much, much faster rates. So if you let's let's say your business does hundred million dollars of profit and you sorry, hundred million dollars of revenue, you make a million dollars of profit, one percent trade margin, right? That's low, but let's assume that's happening. If you can grow your sales to maybe only 105, 110 million, because most of your costs are fixed, you can turn that small amount of profit, one million to two million. So you do hundred million dollars with a million dollars of profit, you might do 110 million of revenue with two million dollars of profit, your profit just doubled. And your PE then, by definition, halved. Mm. And so you don't, it doesn't take much for these kind of barely profitable or slightly profitable businesses to grow profit meaningfully quickly. And I think Kogan also has the potential to do that. They may not. They may keep investing in growth rather than trying to deliver as much money to the bottom line as possible. I just think, I, yeah, it, it's one of my higher conviction stocks on the ASX. It could go badly, yes. It's why you should be diversified, absolutely. Um, it's not an outsized proportion of my portfolio in any real sense. It's large, but I have fewer larger positions as a matter of course. So I have other largest positions, probably my third or fourth biggest position. Um, I just think it's, I think it's a, I think the odds are good. The odds aren't hundred percent. There's no, nothing's ever certain. There are things that could bring it undone. So all of those things are true. Uh, but I, you know, I think, I think the shorts are probably looking at valuation, I guess, um, or they're expecting maybe it never gets profitable, but I don't know, the, the sales juggernaut that is Kogan continues to roll on. You're a brave person to bet against. If, if a business can sell more stuff to more people more often, which is a line you've heard me use before, it's, it's got to do really, really, it'll work really hard 
to go broke doing that or to be worth meaningfully less or to not grow profits. Um, that'd be my bet for Kogan. I've got to say, they've doubled it, more or less doubled their revenue in the last three years. Um, that's the that's, thing, mate. That's, that's pretty impressive. And again, it doesn't mean it has to be profitable growth. It can be, you know, they can lose a fortune and never make money. And those things are all possible. Look at an Uber or a, a something else that just, you know, they've been growing like the clappers are still having delivered a dollar profit. That's absolutely possible. I just don't, I just don't think it's likely. But again, I could be, I could be completely wrong. Mm. All right, one from Mark. Hi, Scott and Andrew. It really intrigues me, says Mark, even, um, that the companies, even pillars of the finance industry, the banks, sell their shares low and buy high. For example, in April 2020, NAB had a capital raising of $4.2 billion at $14.15. Last week, they announced a capital return of $2.5 billion at $26. So in other words, they, they sold shares at 14 they're buying them back at 26. Great news if you were the one who was buying shares at 14 and, and selling at 26. NAB, the company themselves, are doing the exact reverse. Why would you knowingly sell low and buy high? Asks Mark. Wouldn't it have been better just to pay a special dividend? I can't make sense of buying back shares when the price is high. Your thoughts and comments, please. That's from Mark. <laughs> I'm with you, Mark. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Exactly. It's actually very, I'm trying to, oh, my memory's not what it once was and it was never good. But there's a wonderful <laughs> case study of a US company who mm. delivered exceptional returns for their shareholders. And mm -hmm. they had pretty good earnings growth and the rest of it, but it wasn't spectacular. The real secret sauce to it was they had a CEO who was just brilliant at capital management. He had a oh, very- Oh, yes. You are thinking of- Who is it? Oh, great radio, isn't it? Um, While you think, I'll, I'll, I'll finish our, the story. Our, our former, our former colleague Joe Mag will be jumping down the jumping down the podcast line now, yelling at us because it's screaming um, at okay, it. Oh. I will, I will, I will tell you in about thirty seconds. Keep talking. Okay, yeah, okay. So what? So what he did is he had in he had a, a very good sense of what the business was worth, not because of mm. he checked his Comsec app and knew what the market was trading. He just he <laughs> he, right. he he knew intrinsically that this business, but yeah. he, based on what we're doing and what I expect to do, what is a fair <laughs> and reasonable price. And sometimes the market would be in a really exuberant mood, and he'd go, "This is ridiculous." Yeah. Now he wouldn't say that publicly, but what did he do? Yeah. He'd go to the market and say, "Ah, we're going to sell some shares and raise some money." Uh, you, what you're happy to pay yeah. this for our business? Yeah. Okay, um, and, yeah. and 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 then he'd raise a bunch of cash, which which basically means you're raising it really cheaply. There's a very low cost of capital there, and then every now and again yeah. the market would be in a funk, and he would go, "Really? You're only prepared to pay that?" And he would take the company money and he would buy shares yeah. up, and that and so yeah. for, for for everyone else, the per share performance. So there's a business mm. was the business was the business doing whatever it did, yeah. but on a per share basis. It was just much, 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 much better. What was the name of the company? Have you found it? I haven't. I'm still looking. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm now. I'm now desperately scrolling through Amazon to try and find the uh, reviews or summary of the company. I still can't find it because they put they filled it full of uh, quotes from people. No, but, I but, it, going, mate. but it's a great. It's, it's a great. It is a great observation because yeah. it is actually in the case of what NAB has done. It is really common, and. And it is it is stupid. Yep. It is very very. I mean, the board should be admonished for it. You know, you yep. you you have to sort of say anytime they raise uh, capital in that fashion, mm. you would need mm. them to sort of say why do you think shares are above fair value, um, and vice versa. I, I think that's a very reasonable question to ask because if they can't answer it or if they look at you funny, 
you do not deserve to be paid the millions you're paid to, to, to run this operation. Um, because all you are doing is 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 uh, uh, disadvantaging shareholders if you're not doing it properly. Now, sometimes... Wasn't, wasn't sometimes, John Malone, was it? Uh, no, I don't think it was. Someone else, okay. I don't think okay. it was. Um, but maybe. Um, uh, sometimes, it, sometimes you don't have a choice, right? Sometimes you, there's just a really good acquisition, and yep, you know yep, yep. you just you can't pass it up, and that you just need to go to the market wherever you're at right now. Unless shares mm-hmm. are stupidly cheap, you, you can you you can you can forgive them for that. Or maybe it's just in the yeah. depths of a recession, and you're going to go bankrupt if you don't raise. Okay, fine. <laughs> there there are there are uh, extenuating yeah. circumstances, but generally speaking, yeah. yeah, it's really silly, really really silly to do. Yeah. They will. They, yeah, they made a big song and dance about how they are able to do it in a tax effective way and return you know, excess franking credits and all yep. this. But, yeah, special dividend would have been a far, far, far more sensible approach. So that's the only thing I will say, mate, is it, it does – the tax consequences do matter, right? And so mm. CBA this week has announced a, a big, big buyback, massive buyback. Um, but they're actually doing it in uh, – effectively by – they're going to buy the shares back at something like a 15 or 20% discount to the market price. Mm. So even though, it's a, even though it's a buyback at the current price – the price they're paying is like 20% less than the market because they're using franking credits to do most of it. Yep. And so to some degree, because the franking credits are worth something, there are a whole lot of investors who will say, well, hang on, I can sell my shares for 114 or I can sell them for 100 and get, I don't know, $25 worth of franking credits. And so the net result is still actually better off than if I sold yep. it at the current price. Hmm. So it's kind of that. that's part of the reason. Um, as you say also, mate, they do... So yeah, I, I want to be fair. I will, I will bash them in a second. But to be fair... Uh, they, you know, they do have to. April 2020, they raised money because they had to raise money, right? Mm. It, it, it was it was smart to do so. Um, it would have been it would have been bloody minded of them to say, no, no, we'll take our we'll take our chances. We'll roll the dice with your money, and we might blow up. We might go broke or not, but we'll find out. It would have been just crazy to do that, right? So they were mm. absolutely right to raise some capital. The buybacks are stupid, um, in my view, across the banks. I won't name individual banks. I'll hurt myself getting getting sued. Um, they are at prices that are too high. They have no reflection of value at all. Um, you know why they do it? They do it, as you said, mate, to re- reduce the number of shares on issue. Because you know what? Next year, that means they look even smarter, right? Because the profit per share goes up if they buy shares back. If they issue a special dividend, they don't get the benefit of that at next year. You do, but they don't. Guess who makes the decisions? The CEO. Guess who's remunerated on earnings per share? The mm. CEO. <laughs> surprise, surprise. They want fewer shares because if you're in a slow growth business, one of the only ways you can improve earnings per share is to buy back shares. Now, mm. that has value for shelves, buying higher earnings per share, absolutely. Mm. But as you rightly point out, if you desperately want to return cash, do it, do it as cash. Mm. You've got the money, give it as cash and, and you know, make that, make that work. Do it as a special dividend. You get the franken credits with a special dividend. Makes perfect sense, makes great sense for everybody. And if the shares are too high, you absolutely should do that. Um, so I don't I don't blame that for raising capital in the past at in April 2020. I do think they should have paid a special dividend to your point or waited for the buyback to take place when the shares were cheaper. But be opportunistic. Be you know have some view of the intrinsic value of your business. If you're a capital allocator, you should have some sense of that, and that should make make a whole lot of sense. You should absolutely do that. Um, that's something that, that I think investors don't expect enough of from their managers. Some of the managers don't have the ability. I've worked with people who don't have that ability as CEOs or, or pretending CEOs or maybe CEOs at some point. Um, I, I don't want them making those decisions if they don't have the skills. But it should have been reasonable for a business like NAB and others, CBA, to have chosen a better time and price. They want the money off the... The other reason they want the money off the books 
they've, they've, got, they've got returns on equity and capital they're trying to deliver. If you keep that equity, it's harder to get, you know, if, if you've got $100 of profit and $10 of equity, I shall do that around, $10 of profit, $100 of equity, you've got a 10% ROE. If you get rid of some of that equity by giving it back to someone else, <laughs> you know, you, by paying it back, you get a higher ROE. So again, the numbers that you're being measured against are very easy to fix. If you can simply buy back some shares, improving EPS, improve your capital or your return on capital, again, getting rid of some of that money. Um, these aren't decisions that are necessarily being made in the best interest of long-term shareholders. And that's the last thing I'll say is, you know what? When CBA says, no, my profit growth was 19.7%, rather 1.7, or when they want a headline saying $10 billion back to shareholders, they want the current shareholders to love them. They're not as worried as they should be, in theory, across other businesses, not just them, um, about the long-term value creation. And I dare say, if you said to the bank CEOs, your future remuneration, your future wealth is tied, you can't sell the shares, it's tied to the value of these shares in 10, 15, 20 years' time, I would guess they would do a whole lot, thing, a whole lot of things differently if they owned the business themselves, they owned a large chunk of it, than if they were incentivized and frankly sometimes bullied by fund managers to improve this quarter's return, this year's return, rather than the long-term value for you and I who are long-term shareholders. Can I, can I give I, you a... Uh, no, 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 you're 100% right. I'm going to give you a brilliant example. So this no, most, most listeners wouldn't have heard of this company. It's called Objective Corp. Um, yep. And these guys do uh, enterprise software largely for, for government organisations. Nice. And it's got a huge, it's run by the founder who owns a huge amount of shares. So just to the point you're making, and this is a masterclass in capital management. So Mm -hmm. over the years, um, it's reduced its share count by about 32% since it's listed. Now this is very, very rare. In 2008, (laughs) when the depths of the GFC, the CEO went into the market and bought 11% of the outstanding shares, 11%. Right, so this business has yeah. done really, really, really well. Right, so they yeah, yeah. they have seen um, uh, uh, profits have grown three hundred and ten. These my notes are a little bit old on this. Three hundred and ten percent. This is through to a year and a half or so ago over the last ten nice. year period. But on a per share basis, profits have grown five hundred percent. That's awesome, isn't it? Right? And even if you look at it it recently, so in 2012, they had 100 million shares outstanding. Today, they've got 93 million shares outstanding. So, so and I challenge you to look at, pick a random stock on the market and you will find that always goes the other way. In fact, year after year, the share count increases, even if it's not because of massive capital raises, but because there's executive share plans and all of this other kind of stuff where you just get, or there's options that are exercised. There's almost always a dilutive impact. Mm. These guys Mm. have concentrated, and concentrated and concentrated uh, shareholders' um, uh, uh, ownership of the business. It's it is it is a story that needs Remarkable. to be told uh, more widely, and um, I'm not saying you should go out and buy Objective Corp. <laughs> I think it's a, a little <laughs> pricey at this point in time, but it's a phenomenal company mm-hmm. and just a great example of what you're talking about. Nice, mate. I um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple of things. I'll just say at the very end. Um, first thing I'll say is if you're not buying, the, you don't think the shares good value, you should want your company to buy them back either. So that's the other thing. If you so that's you know that, that's a nice yardstick. Are they are they putting shareholder money to use well? Maybe. I will say one last thing, just in, not in their defence, but here's the thing. The longer I've done investing, and this is hard for people listening because the longer you do it, the more you realise there's nuance involved, right? I, I had hard and fast rules when I was 25. I have very, very few of those left because mm. you know you realise there are different things. 
just because a share has gone up doesn't mean buying back shares is a terrible idea. Just because they're at an all-time high doesn't mean buying back shares is a terrible idea. Yes. It's entirely possible that a business, not these guys, a business has grown its earnings and therefore future value at a rate such that it's worth, you know, we, we've, Andrew and I have both bought shares in companies at higher prices a second or third time around than the first time around. Averaging up. I bought, mm-hmm. right. And so, you, you, you know, it's it's not a silly, it's not, you know, it's like saying, well, I bought shares at two, I'm not going to buy them at four because they're at an all-time high or because they're, they're higher than they were. Or even if I sold them at two because I thought it was a terrible business, mm. then I changed my mind at four and bought them back. Just be, the other thing I would do is just be careful not to let the share price trajectory or past or history or chart tell you how to think about those businesses because that is not necessarily always even sometimes you know <laughs> useful as a uh, as an indicator necessarily because people so say to me all the time oh, the market's at an all-time high I'm not going to buy shares mm-hmm. that Vanguard chart we talked about on Friday the number of years number of trade days the market's at an all-time high is phenomenal mm-hmm. it keeps going higher so don't be scared of high prices don't be scared of all-time highs but as you say when a business has got a <laughs> habit of buying back shares at high points rather than low points. And again, I haven't looked at NAB's chart or CBA's chart. And I, you know, I'm going to defend the banks one more time, mate, just to make this a bit more complex and I'll come back to it, is they were told not to pay dividends. They were told not to do capital buybacks over the last year because Apple wanted to make sure they had enough cash. So there absolutely were some rules that precluded them and, and conservative rules and frankly, good management. Again, I'll, I'll bag it for a whole lot of stuff, but being conservative over the last 18 months was a perfectly good idea. It was smart for them, smart for their shareholders, smart for their financial system. So I'm not going to bag someone, a Commonwealth Bank, for not buying back shares last August. Um, it would have been a great time to do it, but they shouldn't have been doing it at a business level because they needed to make sure they had the capital if things went to pot. So, you know, that's that, that's worth just just calling out. Just to, again, yeah. I want, I'm happy to back, bash them and they deserve it in total, but sometimes there are reasons why a business should not just arbitrarily follow those, you know, rules of, you know, buybacks are always good or buybacks are always bad or high prices are good or high prices are bad. Um, but yes, I would I would like to think, CPAs, by the way, right now, doing a share buyback, its PE is somewhere between a third and a half more than its competitors. Mm. Now, if you honestly think one of the big four banks all growing at roughly the same rates is worth half more than the others, good luck to you. Mm. But I would be selling shares at that price, not buying them back personally yep. for what it's worth. So when CBA is doing it, worth asking yourself, you know, are they, are they genuinely, do they genuinely think the business is worth 10, 20, 30, 40% more? That's why they're buying back? Probably not. Can I just, just add a little layer to what you were saying before too? Just yeah, because some, something's at a high price doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But I, I would actually go a step further and say something can go up and be cheaper and something yes. can go down and be more expensive. Yes. Well, AMP, right? <laughs> AMP, right? So it's, so, so yep. something isn't cheaper. Doesn't mean cheap enough to buy. Yeah, and it hasn't been something isn't cheaper expensive relative to where it was. It's it's relative mm. to what its true and fair intrinsic value is. Mm. So mm. if a business is going to go bankrupt next year, um, and we know that because we've travelled back from the future, well, even though shares may be down ninety percent, it's still very expensive, right? And mm. something that yeah. something that's at an all time high and has never been higher, mm. but is about to quadruple its profits for the next ten years in a row, well, it's yeah. it's it's probably still ridiculously yeah, exactly. cheap. Exactly. And you also have situations too where there's the other the other wrinkle on that is as well. There might be, in terms of absolute uh, academic uh, uh, valuations, sort of aside, it mm. may be a different mm. risk proposition. So maybe the value isn't quite as good, but a lot of the risks have gone away. 
So in terms of a risk yeah, reward, right. no, that's a good point. Actually, yeah, you're right. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I've done that before, where I've bought something thinking yeah. actually it's not. It is, I think, a little bit more expensive than when I last bought it. But a, but a few of the risks that I had in in the back of my mind have gone away. So it's, it's actually the proper the, the 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 it was a lower risk, a bit more expensive, but a, a bit lower risk, and that that's for me yeah. evened it out. So just again, a, a bit a bit more subtlety there. Cracking, love it. That's a really nice way to finish it off, mate. So great questions this week, hey. Awesome. And we actually got through more than three. So that's hooray for us. That was, that was partly because I made myself and you stop talking, which, is, uh, which was my, my plan. So I'm going like, to take Good a small work. amount of credit for that. But, Good uh, work. No easy task. We, maybe we're getting better at these questions. Maybe we're getting better at answering them. I doubt it. We'll be terrible next week. Yeah. Hold us to that, fools. Uh, we will try and get through as many as we can because we do have so – we haven't got too many left over, mate, which is nice. We're kind of roughly keeping up. Um, but we're doing our best to get through your questions for you as we, as we do. Uh, as I say every week, please do send us those questions because I'm, I'm not going to say, Andrew, I don't love doing the Friday episodes, but I think it's fair to say, mate, you and I both prefer doing this one. Is that is that fair to say? I, I like both. But, yeah, this is this yeah, is okay. this is the good thing about this one is is that at least we know we're, we're talking about stuff that people are interested in. <laughs> That's why, exactly. <laughs> I always feel better about this episode because I'm like, well, at least we know this is going to work. This is, you know, these are topics that run people's minds and yeah. we're never quite sure. So, hey, by the way... Um, Give us some feedback on both. So I wasn't going to say this, but the, the, fr- the Monday, Friday episode is more newsy, more kind of investing topics, news of the week, stuff that we kind of riff on from what's going on. We figure that's good being topical, helping you understand what's being announced, reported, discussed. Hopefully that's useful. If it is, let us know. If it's not, let us know on that too. And on, on Sundays, as I said, I was about to start to say, um, this is all about you guys. This is all about the stuff you want to know the questions you've got about your finances, business, investing, anything you want to throw at us. We're pretty much happy to tackle almost anything, mate. Probably, uh, we probably shouldn't. We probably should be a little more, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what the rules would say. Focused. Uh, mm. But either way, we're happy, to, we're happy to give it a go. So do hit us up. Um, I didn't share this on Friday. Our email address is info at fool.com.au. Our member services team will make sure that finds their way. In fact, almost all the questions today were via email for a change. I, t- I mix it up a little bit. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter. And again, you can follow us on Twitter anyway because it's fun, but also send us questions, either just direct messages or throw it in the in the feed. If you want to send a question, probably best to come to me, so at TMFScottP or at the Motley Fool AU. But while you're there, follow and, and like and chat with Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon or the Strawman account at Strawman Invest. If you're on the Instas, at TMFScottP, at the Motley Fool AU. And on Facebook, slash Scott Phillips Money or slash The Motley Fool Australia. Fools, thank you for listening. This has been lots and lots of fun. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. Hope at least some of you are out of lockdown. By now it might be the northern tip of Tassie and the southwest of WA. I'm not sure. Fingers crossed this gets over sooner rather later. We hope you're enjoying spending a bit of time with us. I will say very quickly too, if you are looking for more stuff, if you're stuck inside, The Motley Fool's YouTube channel uh, is reasonably recently reinvigorated. If you haven't yet had a chance, just jump onto YouTube, search for The Motley Fool Australia. There's a heap of good content there. Andrew is going to make a cameo at some point soon. Oh, I almost forgot. Buried the entire lead. There's a brand new podcast coming soon. Oh, stay tuned for that one. More details later. Oh, till next exciting. week. Fool on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691. Listener.